circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Hey, hey, everyone. Good evening and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, a.k.a. Berkeley. Well, with the election now behind us and the results still slowly coming to light, we thought we would take a break from the politics tonight and get back to the land, so to say. On tonight's show, we'll hear from a husband and wife team that run Happy Acre Farm in Sonol. We'll also hear from the manager of the Alameda Point Collaborative and learn about the work they're doing on the west end of Alameda. Later, we'll hear from representatives of Planting Justice and EFAM. That's Essential Food and Medicine. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host for the hour, Free Will and Franklin. Stay tuned to KPFA. Again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Tonight, we are taking a break from the red states, the blue states, the mail-in ballots, the walk-in voters, the national catastrophe, or the mega disaster, and taking the hour to talk about growing food where we can, when we can, and why we should. First up, we have a pair of interviews by current apprentice Natalie Kilmer. We start with Matthew and Helena Sylvester, husband and wife farmers who run Happy Acre Farm in Sonol. They both grew up in Oakland, and here they share about their experience this unique year and how things are going. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Matthew, and uh, me and my wife, Helena, have been farming for about six or seven years at the Sonol Ag Park, and uh, our farm name is Happy Acre Farm. This is our seventh season, yeah. Seventh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. since 2014. <laughs> and is that the one serviced by um, SF? PUC water? Yeah, they own the land and it's kind of a sublease situation. They lease it to a nonprofit and then who in turn sublease it to the farmers. How do you guys like farming out there? I have nothing to compare it to, but I really like it. Farming in Alameda County is really cool and unique to me. Having grown up in Oakland and Alameda County and sort of the area I'm familiar with and grew up with and the land is really conducive to growing vegetables. So it just, it's been great. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, I love it too. I had farmed in Fairfield or like Sassoon Valley prior to this, working on another farm. And when we were looking for our own land, being close to our, both of our families live in Oakland still and our, like all of our friends in our community. So being able to have like a 45 minute drive there for an hour max was kind of like what we were looking for. There's really not a lot of farmable land in Alameda County. It's mostly vineyards or grazing land. So this was really like finding a hidden gem. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you both still live in Oakland or? Um, we lived in Oakland the first maybe season and a half, two seasons. And 
Then we were able to move to Sonol. It's a very small town, so housing availability is only through word of mouth. We found our house because some of our neighbor farmers were going to move on and kind of do something else. So when they moved out, we moved in and we've been here for five or six years now. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. pretty nice. It's hard to um, commute and farm. Just the demands and needs of the farm. Like how physical it is. And heat weight. I mean, you got to water and, you know, it's just... It's not like you can just sort of nine to five it. Um, it has its own needs. So the closer you, the farmers can be to the farm, the better. Yeah, I bet. And you guys also have a small child, right? Yeah, I just changed a poopy diaper just now. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a little more than two and a half, yeah. I guess we're also just wondering how it's been. It's been such a crazy year for everybody, but I'm imagining it's been maybe more challenging for y'all as farmers. So if you can share a little bit about your experience, that would be great. It's been a crazy year. Farmers are resilient. We've been lucky, luckier than others in in the sense that the fires never came onto the farm. None of our structures burned. We were on the borderline of the evacuation zone. We did have to evacuate temporarily. And then you kind of had that coupled with heat waves. And so we've been working in heat wave conditions. We've been having to wear masks. It's really, it's harder to work with masks on and your faces get really face gets really itchy and it's just it's obnoxious it's obviously necessary but you're already doing physical labor in a heat wave with a mask on now with in the back of your mind as the owners of the business like should we be harvesting for the csa boxes that are going to go out next week are we going to be evacuated like you know what should we do like you have all these questions in your mind also we have a small you know child and a family and we we actually did evacuate just to be safe and went to our parents house so we were commuting and staying in oakland just in case and we were going to the farm to harvest. And so it's just sort of been a lot to balance. I think we've done a good job and you just kind of keep keep going and change in real time, right? And so that's kind of coupled with looking at things like we used to sell at farmers markets and then, you know, sort of factoring in COVID, we had actually decided to not sell at farmers markets at the end of last year because we were kind of burned down on it and we wanted our weekends back. So we switched to a CSA model and that kind of we got lucky with that and worked out because we're both pretty happy. We're not trying to grow and sell for farmer's markets right now because then COVID hit and that changed the whole structure. When you're growing for a farmer's market, you have to say, I'm going to grow this amount of tomatoes. So I have this amount of tomatoes every week for the market, you know, because you're expecting to try to make this amount of money. And then all of a sudden like a global pandemic hits and like you have way less customers and you have way more tomatoes and now you're not going to hit your numbers and it's a bust and it's just, that's really hard. So We got lucky with the switch to the CSA because actually what COVID did for us and for a lot of farmers we know, it actually upped the consumer interest in supporting local farms. Um, And so we have like a waiting list for our CSA and there's a lot of interest in CSA and pick up at the farm, farm boxes. That's the model we like decided we had planted for. And so we that worked out well for us. I think a challenge for us has been childcare throughout this. We were kind of hoping to either enroll August in some kind of camp or preschool or something, and that's just not an option. So we have just been very fortunate to have family members step in, or maybe one of them had lost their job because of COVID working at a restaurant or something like that. So they've been able to kind of step in and help us out. But every every Sunday, we're like, okay, we got to find childcare for this week. We got to figure out what we're doing. So that's definitely been a hard part for me. Personally. Yeah, we piecemeal it together. We'll watch like 
we're sort of like a small business working family where we like I'll watch August for half the day and then I'll go to the farm and Helena will work on like her stuff and we pass him back and forth and we take him to work with us sometimes and we sort of just make it work. And the thing we just keep in mind is this is normal for him and he doesn't know any better and he likes being at the farm. So we just keep it positive and he's happy to like tag along and go with the flow. Okay. Well, it sounds like y'all are making it work. You were planning ahead and the plans coincided with COVID and kind of worked out in your favor. It did. Yeah. When COVID hit, we actually wound up starting a weekly farm stand, which we hadn't planned on doing prior to that, mostly because first the farmer's market shut down while they were trying to figure out how these new restrictions applied to them. And so we got bombarded by messages from our former market customers asking how they could buy produce from us. And we were able to figure out a system where they can order online and come to the farm and pick up once a week on Tuesdays. And it's been really great. It seems like people like to get out of the house and be able to go to a farm to go pick up something. It's pretty low contact because all the boxes are already set out and labeled and they can just pick it up and go. And it's been nice to have some socially distanced interaction with people once a week. That's part of the farmer's market that I will say I miss is just talking to our customers. And it's been nice to be able to hold on to that a little bit. Just to piggyback off that, as a small business, we have to be able to adapt and change. And that was one of the things that Helena created is the farm box pickup. And it's worked out really well. Every week since March, we've been doing it. We're still doing it. We're going to continue to do it. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And it's just a way we were able to sort of fill a need and still be able to bring in income during these times. How many acres are you guys growing on? And is it just you two or do you have other folks helping you out? Yeah, we're on two and a half acres and we have me and Helena and we have one employee who works about four days a week. Is the CSA going to run through the winter also? or So we do a 26 week season that started in June and we have five weeks left. That'll take you right up to the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And then we're going to take two to three weeks off and then we're going to start up our first ever winter CSA. That's going to go for 13 weeks, about mid to late March. And then we'll stop it right there and we'll be planting, planting, planting and getting ready for our the start of our big CSA come June 2021. You have a waiting list is what you're saying too, if people are interested. Yeah, we do have a waiting list. Um, people can visit our website and then there's a form that they can fill out and then we'll get that noted down. And then we, we let people know as there's openings and stuff. Okay. And then it looks like you, are you also selling olive oil? Yeah. So we, a couple of years back, got an opportunity to lease some land in Livermore where there's a kind of an abandoned 10 acre. It's about 1200 olive trees that are about 30 years old. These beautiful trees that have been neglected and not really taken care of. Right. And so we sort of stepped in and, and signed a lease with the landowner and we've been starting to prune them and get water down on them. And so we had a big harvest last fall and yeah, we've been selling olive oil through our website and that's been really, it's really fun. We really enjoy the olive oil. It's delicious and it's just a really fun thing to, to be around. And uh, I love having a lot of olive oil around, so it makes me really happy. That's his Italian coming out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something we started doing this year was donating profits of the farm stand once a month to Mandela Partners in Oakland. They are helping people on so many different levels. So for a long time, we had 
been trying to figure out how to build in giving back into our business plan. And this year, instead of thinking about it and talking about it, we just decided to take action and do something about it. It's been really nice. Yeah, giving back is definitely something we're trying to do um, on a weekly basis with produce donations and then financial contributions once a month. I started Harvest Queen so we could help people understand seasonality, kind of take that burden off the farmers to explain because I think the last thing farmers need to be doing after growing and harvesting and selling stuff is also telling their customers how to cook it. And then to really highlight all the amazing female growers we have in California. Our Instagram handle is Hello Harvest Queen, and our website is harvestqueen.co. And I guess I would just say for my part, like, I appreciate you guys doing the story. And I think this is a really important time for everyone to think about where their food comes from. Take that pause. We're all kind of like, you know, grocery store kids. And we sort of grew up just going to the grocery store and, and just getting stuff and not really thinking about it. And so I think something that we can think about with this pandemic is, you know, like supporting small local businesses and especially food like what we put in our body right and like where it comes from and like how you can use your money to help support so i people that are listening um wherever you are can look up you know your local csa find a local farmer find a local rancher and try it out try something new and your money is going to go right back into the local economy by helping you know a small family farm anything else you want to mention to link us to yeah so people can find us follow our story on instagram we're at at happy acre farm and then our website, happyacrefarm.com, and email address to happyfarmers at gmail.com. People can reach out to us with questions or if they have any, yeah, anything you want to know. Uh, we try to be transparent and open and try to get back to everyone if possible. And then I just want to say thank you for reaching out to us. We appreciate, appreciate that. I love listening to KPFA. It's on all the time in my van as I'm driving around. So I really appreciate it. You guys are great. Thank you so much, Matthew and Helena. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. We are talking about the importance of food and farming tonight. Those were the voices of Helena and Matthew Sylvester, local farmers sharing their experience farming in this strange year. You can check them out at happyacrefarm.com. You can also learn more about seasonal food and local women farmers at harvestqueen.com. And a big shout out to Natalie for that interview. As always, we will have all the relevant links on our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show. So now we're going to stay with Natalie Kilmer for the next interview. Here she speaks with Alita Pierce, farm manager at Alameda Point Collaborative, as she shares some of the wonderful work and the mission of Alameda Point Collaborative, including housing of previously unhoused folks, feeding those in need, and hands-on farming job training on their no-till farm out on the west end of Alameda Island. Check it out. My name is Alita Pierce, and I work at the farm at Alameda Point Collaborative. It's called Farm to Market, um, and I've worked there for uh, about six years. 
the farm is part of a larger nonprofit, Alameda Point Collaborative, that took over a lot of land on the old naval base out on the west end of Alameda and is the largest supportive housing community in the county. So um, we provide housing and supportive services for formerly unhoused folks. It's permanent housing, and the organization's been around for about 20 years. So we have a lot of folks who've lived in the community for a long time and kids that have grown up there and such. And the farm exists as kind of a social enterprise of the organization. So we are operating about two acres of diverse fruits and fruit trees and veggie crops. We run a small CSA program. We have about 75 members and that helps generate revenue that goes straight to the organization and and our services. And then we also offer a job training program for residents on the farm, both for adult residents, which is a six month long program and for youth in the summer, we do an eight week program to provide transferable job skills and give people a chance to get back in the workforce and also learn about organic regenerative farming practices and better nutrition, health and wellness through eating fresh local produce. So that's kind of what we do. That sounds amazing. And then you're doing the farming, right? Yeah. So I'm the farm manager right now. I'm kind of the only one out there running the ship, but I am in the process of hiring a couple part-time assistant managers, which is really exciting. So soon we will be a management team of three. So aside from me kind of operating and running all, all of the pieces, right, the CSA business, the job training program, we also rely a lot on volunteer labor. I'm kind of managing all the pieces, managing the volunteers, the crew of trainees, and operating the CSA. Wow. So has this year been different than the previous years? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I said, we normally rely a lot on volunteers. And because we're a big nonprofit organization, in the past, we've gotten lots of big group involvement. So corporate groups, school groups, church groups, you know, we'll get up to 150 volunteers at a time that come out to the farm for like a day of service and are excited to get their hands dirty and work on whatever. So previous years, we've probably had one or two groups a month throughout the year, like big groups like that. So that's a really great opportunity to get like a lot of work done, right? Move a lot of compost, move a lot of mulch, pull a lot of weeds, that kind of thing. And yeah, since COVID hit, obviously, like we haven't been able to gather in big groups like that. So we we haven't been able to host volunteers. And, and at first we weren't hosting volunteers at all because it just felt like we should play everything on the safer side and only have like staff and crew be on site. And, um, you know, even though we're outdoors and wearing masks and distancing, it still just felt like you know, leaving your house to volunteer on a farm wasn't necessarily an essential activity. So we were kind of trying to figure out like, how do we encourage people to shelter in place and stay at home while also like wanting to encourage people to come volunteer at the farm? It felt like at odds. But somewhere in the summer, I realized, you know, we can't keep running this farm without help. And and I did get a lot of offers for help from folks who had more time on their hands or were cooped up in their houses and wanted to get outside. So we started accepting individual volunteers on kind of more a case-by-case basis, not necessarily being like open to drop-in volunteering, but allowing people to kind of email me first and have a little back and forth about like agreements around COVID and signing extra waivers and that kind of thing. So since summer, I've had about five or six really consistent volunteers who've committed to a weekly shift and 
have been so hugely helpful to keeping everything running and helping with harvest and weeding and planting and all that. Being out on the farm and doing farm work feels so healing. (laughs) And so it felt good to be able to provide that to folks who want to help and also like want something to do with their hands and a reason to get out of the house, you know. And and I'm open to to kind of continuing to do that. I recognize we need we need even more help. And so trying to figure out the ways where we could continue to keep the risk really low out there um, and and still be able to safely welcome volunteers. Yeah. So were you still able to keep up with the CSA and job training programs? We were able to run the the summer program for youth and and it was actually our biggest cohort yet with um, eleven youth in the program and. That felt really important because, you know, these kids have been out of school and just kind of stuck at home for a long time. And it's a way for them to make money. It's a paid it's a paid drug training program for both the youth and adults. So it's a really great opportunity for them to make money and also get to be doing an activity outside with their friends and learning stuff. So that felt really important to us to make sure we did. So we we did safely execute that. Um, and we are running the adult job training program now with a couple, couple of folks on the crew and, um, yeah, CSA has continued to run smoothly. I'll also say that this year I've seen the most interest in it at the beginning of the pandemic. I had about like a 60 person wait list of people emailing me daily asking to join our CSA. Um, so that's been really cool to see kind of this, surge and interest in getting local food from your local farm. And I wish we had capacity to take on everyone who is super excited to join our CSA, but we definitely, we hit capacity early on in spring and have just been fulfilling those commitments to those 75 members. There was a couple interruptions, like at the very beginning of shelter in place, we kind of were like, what do we do? I guess we just shut down the farm. So there was maybe two or three weeks where we canceled CSA. And then since I've been kind of alone, (laughs) alone running the ship, there's been a couple times where I've gotten sick and have had to cancel CSA because I don't really have a support network of other folks who can step in and harvest and deliver when I'm not well. So yeah, aside from a couple instances, we've been able to keep CSA running. Wow. Well, cool. That's a great job. It sounds like. Were you guys impacted by the fires? You're pretty safe there in Alameda Island. Impacted because of the smoke for sure. Yeah, we actually did have to cancel another CSA, I think either one or two CSA pickups because AQI was like, you know, in the very unhealthy category over over 200 or over 180 or something like that. Yeah. So on those days when it was super smoky, we we did our best to, you know, wear in 95s and get out there and do the bare minimum that needs to be done, you know, water the plants, pick the stuff that would rot otherwise and store it. But we did end up having to cancel CSA a couple times due to smoke as well. Are most of the CSA customers on the island there? Most of our customers are on the island. I also, I live in Berkeley, so I also do a pickup here from my house in Berkeley. So we have about 15 members who live in the Berkeley area and pick up from here. Um, But the rest of folks are mostly on the island. Are you guys hand-tilled or do you have a tractor? Yeah, we do everything by hand. We've been calling ourselves no-till for a while and then learning more about, you know, what that actually means and um, trying to... This year we started, you know, before COVID hit, the organization Stopways connected us with a couple experts and also the county agriculture extension office. And we had this woman named Jessica Bates come out and show us a method of 
no-till bed prep that really involves like no disturbance of the soil. So before we were kind of doing pitchforks, broad forks, rakes, you know, kind of hand pulling and clearing beds and turning them over with a fork. And the method she kind of showed us, which we tried on a handful of beds and actually has had really great success um, as we're coming into fall, these beds are looking awesome, is, is kind of not disturbing the soil at all, leaving whatever plant matter was in there from kind of the winter growth and cu- putting cardboard down in the beds, straw in the pathways, and then like a good three inches of compost on top um, for where the beds are. And then when we plant into it, we just kind of cut down through the cardboard and plant in. So I will say it was it was kind of an annoying method for the initial like prepping of the beds and planting into the cardboard. Um, but now that it's fall and we've we're, we've gotten like one big summer crop out of it and we were able to just kind of cut that out and plant in a fall crop, it's really amazing how few weeds are in those beds and the soil is looking really fluffy and rich and amazing. So yeah, hoping to do more of that method this year because we do have like an endless supply of cardboard that we're able to collect from different waste streams. That's cool. So you guys are just kind of keep on learning new techniques to make it even more sustainable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the all those no-till techniques are all about like, how do we sequester more carbon in the soil? So I'm always, I'm always down, you know, to learn the, the latest science and techniques that are going to help us. We have a lot of weed, weed pressure out there. So it's also about like, how do we prep beds and and maintain our soil in a way that we're also reducing the weeds. Um, What are you planting out there right now? Right now, so our CSA ends at Thanksgiving. So we have just about four or five more weeks left. And then we take a little break through till March. So right now we kind of like just finished a round of planting of kales and bok choys, some more lettuces, spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, which will be kind of ready, hopefully just in time for that, the like final Thanksgiving harvests. But then yeah, since we take a break for the winter, we're not planning a ton of stuff now. And more kind of in the mode of we will seed some cover crop and some garlic. Garlic's kind of the big next step on the agenda. So garlic, cover cropping, and then sort of in the process of taking down all the summer trellising and taking out all the summer crops and kind of getting the beds ready for winter and for spring planting. So if folks wanted to get in touch? Yeah, so probably the best way to find out more about us is to go to the website for Alameda Point Collaborative. If you just type Alameda Point Collaborative into Google, it should be the first thing that comes up. And then we're the Farm to Market tab. It has more info about the farm. And at the bottom of that page, it has a link to like contact us or sign up to volunteer, which brings you like straight to our volunteer waiver Um and also a link to our store where you can sign up for CSA when it's time to or email us to get on the wait list. And on our store, we also have honey available because we keep bees at the farm and we do sell honey and flower bouquets like made to order. So you can order those on the website as well and come pick them up from the farm. That's exciting. Well, that sounds great. And one more thing that COVID kind of shifted for us is we, at the very beginning, everyone was kind of in crisis mode and we, we sort of tried to work with our case managers to identify like what families in the community that lives at APC are most in need of food, whether that's their immune compromise and they don't want to leave or families who um, have a lot of kids and are used to getting two to three, you know, two meals a day at school 
and now aren't able to get that or for whatever reason we're needing more food. And we identified a list of like 20 families that would benefit from a, a produce delivery. And we started delivering to them. And then we quickly paired up with this organization called Food Shift, which is an amazing organization that works on reducing food waste. So they they run a similar program to ours in, in which they do a job training apprenticeship in a kitchen. But since they aren't really able to run that right now safely in a kitchen, they're still doing a bunch of food recovery. So they go to big grocery stores and giant produce markets and take all the stuff that would be otherwise thrown away and are redistributing it to people who need it. So we've been working with them and getting like a weekly donation of recovered food and then adding in whatever we have on the farm in excess. Like right now it's apples. We have so many apples. So and then we've been kind of dividing it all up into produce bags and delivering those door to door to folks in the APC neighborhood. And that's been really amazing because for a long time, we've been wanting to connect more with the residents and like have them be eating more fresh produce from the farm. And it's it's been a little bit of a barrier. And it it's kind of silly that it took a pandemic for us to just like start offering a service for free and start delivering it. And as we have, like word has spread. So we started with about 15 to 20 families and now you know, word has spread that we're doing it and people keep calling and being asking to be added to the list. So now we're delivering to 45 families every week. Um, And that's just felt really awesome to be able to, yeah, not only be rescuing and redistributing food that would otherwise be thrown away, but also being able to give some kind of peak season produce from the farm, just giving it to, to residents who need it. And yeah, I think that's that's a change that the p- pandemic brought on, and it's something I hope to continue even even after the pandemic because I I do believe that you know we should be. It feels really good to be giving food away for free. It seems like that would be wonderful if it was available in more areas because I know a lot of people are struggling financially. Yeah, absolutely, and I know there are a lot of organizations that are doing that, and and Food Shift is partnering with quite a lot of organizations, and and they might have the capacity to to partner with more. So, just want to put a plug out there to to reach out to Food Shift. All right, thank you for sharing that. Thanks so much, Alita, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Nice yeah. to talk with you. Grow food, grow food, grow food. Yeah. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. Also, KPFA.org. That great song you just heard was Grow Food by Appetite for Change. And Appetite for Change is a North Minneapolis nonprofit organization that uses food as a tool to build health, wealth, and social change. Before the music break, we heard from graduate apprentice Natalie Kilmer as she was speaking with Alita Pierce, farm manager at Alameda Point Collaborative. Sounds like a pretty amazing local nonprofit that does job training, houses people, donates food, and offers opportunities for volunteering. Check them out at apcollaborative.org. That's apcollaborative.org. 
alamedapoint.org. And, of course, we will have a link to Alameda Point Collaborative and all their programs on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, tonight, just after the show. Okay, next up tonight is our production consultant, Joy Moore. If you heard last week's show, Joy had a beautiful and heartfelt commentary about being a part of American democracy. Well, tonight she speaks with Sochil Bernadette Moreno and Achelle Eldridge of EFAM. That's Essential Food and Medicine. Welcome, Sochil and Achelle. Thank you for joining us on, K on Full Circle. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Joy. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So first, tell me about EFAM. Who started it? Why did you start it? And what are y'all doing? Well, EFAM um, really began in the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, you know, folks were in a moment um, of shock and, and, and panic. And for us, we felt like it was so important uh, to really feed the roots of people's health. Um, EFAM grew out of uh, the work that both Michelle and I had been doing uh, individually. And, and then we decided, you know, that it was really made sense to, to put it all together. Um, I had been uh, doing work in the encampments here around West Oakland, getting water access, um, like hand washing stations, potable water, things like that, um, with a group called United Front Against Displacement, um, and had, you know, also been putting to use some of my skills uh, as an herbalist um, and, and kind of reaching back on that ancestral medicine to try and heal the people. Um, and that's when I met Achel and learned about his work through SOS Juice, um, which hopefully he can talk a little bit more about. And then, you know, we decided to, to start transforming some of this food surplus uh, that was, you know, farms were having this uh, overflow of food that they didn't know what to do with. It was going fallow in the fields. Um, while at the same time, there were people in the city, some of, you know, folks that are, are the most vulnerable uh, in, any, in any condition were going hungry. And so we decided to found uh, EFAM to address these issues that as we have always said, you know, existed before the pandemic, they exist now and they will exist after. Um, and so it's important that we, you know, really think about collective immunity uh, by supporting people's, the roots of their health. So we provide juices, soups, smoothies, and natural medicine uh, to the folks that need it. And a lot of those folks um, are the unhoused, the elderly, immune compromised people. Those are some of the roots of EFAM. Excellent. So I love that you, you were able to pivot to the needs of the community as a nonprofit. That's one of the things that I think we're great at. Um, one of the strengths of nonprofits, community organizations, is that when things come up in, in the community locally, you're able to jump on it. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the work that Ashel was doing before EFAM. You mentioned an organization. What was it? Yeah, SOS Juice. So, um... I'm one of the founders of United Roots Media Center, which is like 28th and Telegraph, um, that we we started with with Will I Am, and I Am Foundation, and we did a lot of education out of there. There was a lot of youth development, um, entrepreneurship, music, 
et cetera. And then I noted that, you know, that was a, you know, a need for more nutritional education. So then out of that, I wanted to speak to the youth that we were working with that was in West Oakland, East Oakland. So I created, you know, a song like Food Fight with Dead Prez and created an album called Earth Amplified. And it sort of billowed into, well, actually let's provide the example direct of how we can create, you know, green economy and sustainable solutions through entrepreneurship. So SOS Juice, you know, we at the farmer's market had bike power smoothies, you know, solar power blending, things like that, and had young folks working with us at the same time getting a nutritional education. So when COVID hit, you know, I went back to the juicing, you know, so it was like, well, let's actually just provide the solution because there was a lot of conversation around what we should be afraid of and, you know, a lot of different energies are going around. So I was like, well, let's actually just focus on what we know is tried and true, earth-based medicine, you know, and just nurture that and stay in that pulse and that frequency. So I started doing deliveries. And then that's when I got the phone call about Soch doing the water and doing the food delivery. So we just thought it was a seamless um, communion to actually come together and just deliver that. Wow, that's so exciting to me. One of the things that I'm, I'm, I, I think that we need as a society is a way to see what you're all doing is helping people teach themselves how to take themselves. We are our best physician and our health starts with the food we put in our mouth, the air we breathe in, the water we drink and how much sleep we have. So those four things together makes a, a hopefully a healthy life if we focus on it. Talk a little bit more about any work you're doing in garden, uh, so Chilo, you talked about the herbs. One of the things that I'm interested in and I do as a gardener is, I encourage people to be outside and in touch with nature and putting their hands in the soil so they can serotonin, so they can get uh, clean air, just the cleanest air we've had in probably decades with the COVID virus and, people, and less people driving. And also people needing to do other things besides being on their phone, sitting in their house, looking at the computer, watching the TV, doing sports, going shopping, blah, blah, blah. So many other uh, distractions have, have been taken away or, or aren't available to us now. And now we're finding, uh, hopefully, that there's a value in stewarding the earth, being part of the earth, coaching food out of the earth, and caring for it. So talk a little bit about that work and how you feel about those ideas I just put out. Certainly, Joy. Well. You know, it, it overwhelms my heart to hear you encouraging people to put their hands in the dirt. I certainly think that that's really one of the most fundamental things that we can do to connect to earth, to connect to, you know, something greater and, than ourselves and, and really fundamental. Um, so yes, yes, yes. Um, and, you know, one of the ways in which we've been bringing that concept to light in our work is by um, creating a garden out at the Wood Street encampment. Um, it's one of the largest encampments on the West Coast uh, for unhoused, um, internally displaced folks. Um, so, you know, it's where folks who are at the end of the line who don't know where to go, it's where they go um, and create community. And that was a place where you know, albeit there's a, there's a lot of dirt out there, not much of it was clean. And so over these past few months, you know, we started to really dig deeper in our, in our relationships and, and people were always craving that connection to the plants, that deeper connection to the medicine. Um, and so 
we transformed a plot of, of land that had all of this garbage um, and all of this waste. And, you know, over a few days, we worked with different folks like Wanda Stewart from Common Vision, um, like the uh, Permaculture Action Network people. And we were able to transform uh, that plot of land and put a garden in. You know, and albeit there's just a few garden beds there, but the residents have been coming and stewarding that garden, um, eating from the the herbs and the and the fresh salad greens that are there, and more than anything, having a place to you know have that earth connection, because you know you can take as as many pharmaceuticals as you want, but I think if you're not in connection with our dear mother earth, um, you're really missing out on something. And, and there's something that only that connection can give you and can nurture in your mind, body, and spirit. I wanna thank you for sharing with us right now. And anything you wanna share with our audience in terms of how they can promote your work, how they can support your work, how they can get uh, contact with you, any events that are coming up or anything that they should know about EFAM right now. Yes, yeah. Well, one, they can go to essentialfam.org, www.essentialfam.org. We also add essential.fam on Instagram. Come through and, and volunteer. I mean, the best remedy, there's no better voting than, than the left foot, right foot, the hand, you know, moving the soil, moving towards someone else, being in service. So that's going to really be like a healing point for folks. So come through. And, and hit us up, hit us up online, come through, volunteer. Um, again, essentialfam.org or on essential.fam on Instagram. We're there maybe two or three times a week in the kitchen, juicing, making smoothies, and then there's distribution opportunities as well. And there's other opportunities for event production. So if people are feeling the blues about like, you know, whatever your political affiliation is or what's, what's happening around um, the election, you know, the remedy could be that that Dharma walk, just this, just walking that, putting your energy exactly where your values are and come and serve the community. Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. You were just listening to our own Joy Moore speaking with EFAM. That's Essential Food and Medicine. You can find out more about EFAM on their website, essentialfam.org, essentialfam.org. And that was just 10 minutes of a 30-minute conversation. And if you know Joy, you know she loves a long conversation. Please go to our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for the entire interview, including what foods you can grow for your own essential food and medicine. Again, that website is kpfaapprentice.org. Up next, we'll be hearing from graduate apprentice slash co-director of First Voice, Miss M. Miss M spoke with Rahul Patel, educator and landscaper at Planting Justice, an amazing organization that works to address both food justice and the social injustice of the prison industrial complex. Welcome to Full Circle. Thank you. 
first of all, could you talk to us about Planting Justice, what it does, and what kind of services it provides? Sure. At Planting Justice, we work at the axis of social justice and environmental progressivism. What that means is we really center communities that have been marginalized by the same system that is at odds with the earth and by design is injurious to natural systems and all life. So in being able to work with environmentalism, we also work with uh, human populations such as formerly incarcerated individuals who have been most impacted by the systems that are perpetuating the same violence against the earth. We have a number of programs with which we do this. We have a five acre nursery in East Oakland in the Sobrani Park community. We have a mother orchard with, I believe, 700 varieties of fruit trees in El Sobrante. We have a landscape team that installs permaculture landscapes with focus on sustainability and food production all over the Bay Area. We have an education team which works in public schools in Oakland, works in prisons, and does workshops all over the Bay. And we have a Canvas team which is hard at work, both fundraising and spreading the message about what we're doing as well as spreading the idea of green jobs and building a sustainable economy through assisting the most affected as well as healing our relationship to the earth. You mentioned that you work with formerly incarcerated individuals. How can they be a part of the services that your organization provides? So our work with formerly incarcerated individuals actually was at the origin of the founding of Planting Justice. Planting Justice was in partnership with a program called the Insight Garden Program at San Quentin. And our goal of the founders of Planting Justice was to offer uh, good jobs, living wage jobs for those who were re-entering society, were actually building the landscapes all around the Bay Area and a core part of the educational programs that Planting Justice has offered. Planting Justice as an organization, we strive to provide not just a job, but a full suite of services for folks who are coming home and re-entering society with the understanding that citizen rates are incredibly high because there is a complete lack of support for the men and women who are reorienting to a society, which has shifted and which honestly odds are against them successfully re-entering into society. And so Planting Justice as an organization, we really focus on creating a good context and environment in which these individuals can succeed. And you mentioned Sobrante Park. Tell us a little bit about that. Sobrante Park, like many communities in East Oakland, has historically been redlined and has historically been at the behest of like heavy policing, a lack of access, both public transit 
and jobs and the typical violence we understand in East Oakland as well as in the hood everywhere all around America, it's there's food apartheid. The nearest grocery store is miles away. Many people get their food from the deli. But at the same time, the Brandy Park has a very strong sense of community. Neighbors know one another and people really look out for one another in lieu of these government services or you know anybody from the outside doing what they're supposed to in providing a just amount of amenities for anyone in America to live. So Sobrani Park has been a, a great blessing for planting justice. Been there for I think six years now and in that time we've been able to provide space for the community to organize. We also are a center for food box distribution for those locally to be able to come and pick up uh, free produce and have access to delicious and nutritious food that otherwise is difficult to access in the neighborhood. Many of our employees at the nursery are Sobrani Park residents and it's become integral to our success to be a part of the fabric of the neighborhood. I think that there's often a very simplified story told about neighborhoods like Sobrani Park by both sides, honestly, of the issue. You know, many conservatives that are fear-mongering will suggest that these neighborhoods maybe aren't pulling up their bootstraps, right, are heavily reliant on crime, all of the racist tropes that you hear about neighborhoods like this. But even those on the left, like many liberals, will inherently victimize people in the community of Sobrani Park, as an example, by suggesting that they are marginalized and crushed by the weight of the oppression of capitalism and the lack of services and the violence and the crime, all of these things that that unintentionally paints such a bleak and victimizing picture. So our focus in our work, a lot of it is to create a more dynamic and honest depiction of our work and of communities like Sobrani Park, which are beautiful, resilient, strong, evolving, supportive, and we're just blessed to be there. You mentioned that you provide some services in schools. What are those services? This has changed a little bit due to the pandemic, obviously. But previously, we had and stewarded a number of school gardens with youth in those schools. And that's a big part of our programming. Uh, We've taught classes on nutrition, food safety, food production, gardening. We are always bringing the concept of food justice into our work, hoping to spread consciousness about the very deliberate food apartheid that exists in the communities in which these young people are growing up, both letting them know that it is a systemic issue that they don't have a grocery store in their neighborhood, and yet at the same time, it is in their ability and agency to make a choice and empowering them with the skills to grow their own food, be a part of a community garden, understand what it means to develop a relationship with the earth. So at this time, we have obviously 
a limited scope in the schools since they are online. So we've been focusing a lot on having a group of interns at our nursery, being able to do similar work, paying them a fair wage to get their hands in the dirt and really connect with Mama Earth and do some healing work in that way. But there is a very particular type of support that we inherently are required to give to formerly incarcerated individuals. California has the highest recidivism rate in the country, and the policies here are not very friendly for people who are getting out and are trying to get back on their feet. So yeah, many of the services we provide for the men and women who are coming home are very particular and oriented towards helping them find stability. That's excellent. What happens at the site that you have in El Sobrante? Our site in El Sobrante is beautiful, incredible farm with hundreds of varieties of trees and is an amazing example of permaculture at work. You know, we spent two years doing earthworks, preparing the land, bringing in compost, digging swales, planting trees, fighting gophers, um, and all sorts of daily tasks required to really manifest the dream of, of a food forest. There's a few elements of our organizational design that the farm fulfills. One, it's a mother orchard for many of the trees that we sell at our nursery. Two, the fruit that is falling, we're going to be able to sell and create value-added products. And once we have an expansion in, in that realm, we'll be able to provide more jobs. The basis of Planting Justice's work is providing green jobs, good, solid paying work, reconnecting with Mother Earth, getting paid a good wage. In a lot of ways, we're ahead of the curve with that. You know, People are talking about the Green New Deal now, but we've been doing this for 10 years. That's why it's important that folks know that you guys are, are out there and doing this because, yes, people are waking up to the importance of that now. And for those of us not in the know, tell us what permaculture means. Mm, this is a good question. So in the modern context, permaculture literally means permanent culture. It's an answer to the question, how do humans figure out a way to live in this world without creating and bringing about our own demise. Currently, we're on a fast track towards our own apocalypse. We've designed many systems which are linear in the sense that they only extract from the earth. And we're working off of finite resources here in order to like refuel the things that we're extracting. Obviously, that cannot last forever. So a simple example, fossil fuels. We've known that fossil fuels are going to run out for decades. And yet, more renewable sources of energy have yet to come into the mainstream. Solar is just beginning to touch at the edges of the mainstream. So as humans, we've fallen out of touch with understanding these natural flows of energy. Our indigenous ancestors, all of them understood this. And all of them understood their place within these cycles. And so really permaculture is a matter of humbling ourselves enough to begin to open ourselves up again to indigenous knowledge 
And even now that we are beginning to understand that what we've created is wrongfully extractive, our solutions continue to create more problems. And so we have to take a step back and critically examine our desire to do more and have all sorts of fancy technology and gadgets. The answers ecologically are all there. That's really powerful. Is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know? Yeah, we're doing great work. We've been doing great work. And it's not always easy. There are challenges along the way when you are trying to do something new, when you're trying to do something revolutionary. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to plantingjustice.org. There you can purchase fruit trees. You can learn more about our landscaping services. You can learn more about our farm, read about our story. We are obviously happy to accept support. We still are accepting volunteers, so you can get your hands in the soil. We also accept volunteers with skills to offer. And so just know that there are people out here like us at Planting Justice that are doing the work and would love to welcome you with open arms and have your support in our strong movement forward. Thank you so much, Raul. Thank you for your time. We so appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for links and related information to tonight's show, including planting justice. A special thank you to contributing producers tonight, graduate apprentices Joy Moore and Miss M, and current apprentice Natalie Kilmer. Another shout out to Miss M as our executive producer and to Joy Moore, who is our production consultant. Also myself, Freewill and Franklin, I have been your host tonight. I am also the technical director for this show, Full Circle. Thanks for listening tonight. And everyone remember to please protect your health and your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because coming up next is La Onda Bajita. Peace.